Today's podcast is brought to you by Isoway Sports, the sports range for athletes looking for supplements that are free from all artificial colours, flavours, sweeteners and added fructose. Intense physical training programs place significantly higher nutritional demands on sports people, and Isoway Sports are committed to providing pure nutritional ingredients that are truly complementary to a healthy, active lifestyle. You can visit isoasports.com.au for more information. This is FX Medicine and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cook and with me in the studio today is Nick Morgan. Now Nick Morgan is the Managing Director of Sports Integrated Limited, a business that specialises in performance sport nutrition and the application of science within industry and businesses. He's an exercise physiologist of some 13 years experience and he's worked with elite sporting organisations in the football, that's soccer to Australians, rugby and Olympic but also Paralympics which is interesting. And he's now working with Skins as a consultant to make the best use of science within their products for sports performances. Welcome, Nick. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Welcome to a beautiful Australian winter's day. Yeah, it is. Very grey, unfortunately. (laughs) Which is a beautiful summer's day in England. (laughs) It is. It is. Now, Nick, tell me the history of, am I going to say this right, compression sports equipment? Yeah, I I think, yeah, compression. Definitely think it's equipment. and uh, I guess the history goes all the way back to its uh, its use, and it's still its current use in in medicine. And I think people would always know about terms like DVT or deep vein thrombosis, and other ones like venous insufficiency. So where areas or where people have had issues with just blood flow, sometimes they assume it's with uh, aging, but it might be post operation or or something similar. Or if you go back to the early 1900s, it can be very similar to you know the World Wars where people had you know serious issues and injuries and I think people know to apply compression in those sort of scenarios and it was just a way of helping to facilitate uh, blood flow um, and just to uh, ensure that that continues to flow around the body and that's kind of where it really starts. So that's where it started from but it's really evolved into a sports performance type thing away from a health yeah, no, no. I think well, that's, a, that's a separate issue. Is that yeah, right? yeah, it's not really moved away from health. I think the use of compression in, in health and medicine is still there and used um, a lot and to, to absolutely great benefit. But I think what you've seen is people leverage the way that science has evolved in medicine and really thought, well, hang on a second, that's really applicable to the world of sports and exercise science. What does that mean for us? And therefore, they've consequently then spent some time researching that type of population, which has kind of allowed us to evolve the use of compression into garments specifically for the sport and exercise population. And indeed, you've worked in a lot of these organisations. I was reading your bio. Can you go through the yeah. clubs that you've worked with and also yeah. the, the types of sports? Because that's really interesting to me with Paralympics. Yeah, so for at the very beginning, I worked in a couple of the national sports centres within the UK, which meant I was fortunate enough to work with a number of sort of elite professional sports. So would be that would be in uh, football. I worked at Nottingham Forest for quite some time, so European champions back in the in the seventies. Actually, not so not so quite so good at the moment, but they're, they're you know still pleased to have him on the bio. Yeah. Uh, professional rugby, um, some of the Olympic sports. So our speed skaters, our uh, canoeists, for example. Ah. So I worked with a couple of those. 
and I was fortunate enough to help our uh, Paralympic team, uh, specifically the um, disability athletics team, yep. prepare for the heat and humidity of, of Athens back in 2004. So looking at their acclimation and their acclimatization strategies, which is very interesting given the sort of the variations of disabilities um, and how they prefer, prepared for that in the various holding camps that we had back in the time and it was actually in Cyprus that we held the holding camps before going into Athens. So tell me how compression equipment works in that in that strand. Well, I mean, back then, in all elements, um, compression is used as another tool, another modality to, to provide a performance benefit. Mm. And I think at an elite level, um, people are always looking for marginal gains. Mm. I think it's a term that people have become yes. more... Um, relevant now, I think, that people are looking for the small percentages. Um, and compression, as it evolved from research, demonstrated we knew that there was a benefit around blood flow, which we naturally know is an important component of endurance exercise. So mm-hmm. the ability to transport oxygen around the body so that you can sort of work at various intensities for the benefit of trying to get from A to B as fast as possible. And I think as people have been looking for marginal gains and as research evolved as such what you find is we weren't just talking about how to train better but we're using thing tools such as oh suddenly we've gone from heart rate monitors to gps we've gone from very basics of nutrition to more tailored strategies and what you saw was the world of compression just come into this environment and people go hang on a second this is really interesting and it started from someone having an idea from just some pilot data to literally more people wanted to research it and then slowly but surely it became more of a classical protocol. And what you see is within Paralympics or Olympic athletes, professional sports, football, rugby, cricket, for example, it's in there and people are using it as a a real strategy for performance. Yeah. Um, And sorry to harp on about the Paralympics, but like I've got a picture in my brain of, say, you know, a, a quad um, in a in a wheelchair, forgive me, not a quad, a, a para, um, in a wheelchair playing basketball, and having particular issues with edema um, in the lower extremities. Is that where we're talking about, or are we talking about active limbs? Oh, I mean, I think, um, yeah, in terms of the, the Paralympic sport, we, we were then back in so 2004 really looking how they were coping with the heat and humidity. So mm. for compression in that sense wouldn't have been uh, hugely relevant. I think we'd probably be looking predominantly um, at active limbs, I think. Right. Um, certainly because that's where you're looking to ensure that the blood flow is there. And what you're seeing anyway with people is in extremities. You're looking to facilitate and pump the mm. blood back up mm. um, towards the heart to be reoxygenated and then and sent back out. Um, I think it's interesting. It becomes a tool for anybody and everybody in, in all sports. It's just a case of trying to find out what works for individuals. So tell me about the science behind this because it's like, you know, started in medicine and, and indeed war where you talk about compression, but but there's been a whole science with the evolution into sports enhancement, correct? Yeah, it has, and it all evolved from the, the blood flow. And, you know, from, um, you know, endurance performance, you know, running, cycling, but also team sport performance where they're trying to cover as much distance on the pitch, for example. The ability to be aerobically strong, mm. the ability to transport oxygen around the body, um, to oxygenate the muscles, to use that as a, as a fuel source, is, is, a, is a determinant of success. It, de- it determines whether people will be able to sustain the work rate that they want. And so the application of uh, compression for the purposes of facilitating blood flow was very logical. And what you started to see was people research that specifically for the purposes of understanding, does it improve 
running performance, the ability to get from A to B as fast as possible. And then similarly, they've done the same in, in team sports. And what we found is that if people wearing compression versus those that don't seem to demonstrate, of course, that they can cover a distance uh, slightly quicker. And that's because it would seem that you get greater enhanced blood flow and some muscle oxygenation uh, and, and those types of benefits. But we've also seen it specifically blood flow from a recovery point of view. And that's probably the biggest area of science and where most of the wealth of research has been. People uh, tend to recover better. So a gold standard measure of that is that subsequent performance mm. is not um, decreased versus the, the previous performance. Yep. And yep. so you get um, a restoration of physical ca- capacity, I think is a good way of putting it. But also people tend to feel better. You get a reduction in muscle soreness. And I think no matter who you are, whatever type of athlete, we've all felt soreness after doing exercise. And wearing compression seems to reduce the symptoms of muscle soreness. So again, their readiness to perform again is increased. So we're talking here about things like delayed onset muscle soreness or DOMS. Yeah. Tell me how that works and, and like what's the pathophysiology of DOMS and how does it work to enhance it? What you're seeing is, um, yeah, damaging exercise essentially does damage us. It breaks us down for the purposes of adaptation. So you build back stronger. Um, and what you find is you get that, that damage, that micro tears, and depending on how intense the exercise is, will effectively determine how damaged the muscle is. Um, and in the recovery process, what you're looking to do is just fuel that um that restoration, as it were, and compression in facilitating blood flow, which would be one of the areas of which we would help to sort of uh, restore the muscle, just pumping the blood around and removing some of the byproducts and sort of fast forwarding the recovery processes just enables you to reduce the symptoms quicker um, wearing compression than if you weren't. So an interesting point that you made earlier is that you worked with kayakers, which is obviously wet, and uh, they often get quite uh, irritated parts (laughs) <laughs> does yeah. does compression equipment help alleviate these sort of things? Does it help? Well, I think you, you raise a really important thing about um, compression garments. And, you know, you've got one thing, which is to apply the compression for the physiological benefit. So in, in many instances, blood flow or muscle support, for example. But you've also got to choose the right types of products and brands that um, are made with a high degree of specification such that they take into account the practical things that athletes face. It's all very well and good coming in and saying, well, you know, here's some science, we must apply it. But we've got to apply it in settings. So um, rashes is a common uh, issue in kayak and in many other sports. Mm. So you've got to make these these garments with the technical know-how to ensure that that doesn't happen. Um, and garments like skins, for example, have a number of technical uh, fabrics, um, design aspects to them. They're biomechanically brought together, various panels. There's a lot of time, thought, expertise gone into it. And it's not just for the sake of saying it and telling people. It's because of very practical realities that our athletes face. And not just elite, but everybody. I think we've all suffered from rashes at various times, depending on what sports we're involved in. And and that's crucial. So you've not only got the science of compression, I think you've got the science of creating products for the purposes of very practical scenarios, of which rashes would be a very good example. So I think this might be the difference between sports equipment and cool-looking clothing. Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) And I I think... um, there's no doubt people want to wear cool-looking clothing, but you can make very technical clothing look cool as well. Mm. But I tell you what, from an athlete and from a practitioner point of view, we start very much with making sure that the products have a benefit and that they're practically relevant for the scenario. What sort of person is this 
equipment relevant for, though? Is it the weekend warrior? You know, like, forgive me, I'm 49. I've lost my elite athleticism long ago. Would it be appropriate for me or is it really for that high-end athlete who's really serious? No, I think it's appropriate for everyone in in truth. I think we study and we talk about elite athletes just because um, it's what people know. It also brings about quite a lot of emotion with it as well. And, and that's where we always talk about the nice story of the marginal gains. And, and that's, I guess it's always the star athletes give us the trends for what I think the weekend warriors will, will use in the future. What we know about compression is that the benefits exist. I think it works absolutely with elite athletes, but we also know that it works with um, competitive warriors and weekend warriors, and they feel the benefit as well. I think an important point here as well is X exercise is relative. So an elite athlete, of course, we perceive them to be elite, works very hard. But someone who's less fit, perhaps, still has to work very hard. Hmm. It's still a... Harder, I would argue. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the simple story is that sometimes you can say, oh, there's a marathon runner, two hours and 10 minutes. It's perhaps... Um, a little bit of a greater achievement for those that take five hours or six hours because that's a significant achievement in itself. And because exercise intensity is relative, the the amount of muscle damage people get is also relative. So they're almost relevant for everybody. Um, I think obviously there's personal choice there and there's, there's financial implications and all sorts of things that you need to think about. But in terms of the benefits... For the purposes of somebody who wants to achieve a goal in the area of um, sporting performance, whether it be their first 5K or their 15th marathon, their first triathlon or their Ironman, whatever, I think there's a benefit there to play. And then it's just a case of them trying to work out when the right time is to sort of feed it into their their own protocols. What about uh, the age range? Um, Because like, for instance, uh, when I was going through high school, I went to school with some AIS athletes. And what I've seen now is that they were in late high school. Now they're 12, 13. They're getting serious really early. Is is this applicable for younger children? And what about the elderly as well? Because there's some very fit uh, older people out there as well. Yeah, no, there is. Um, I think they are, yeah. I mean... Uh, for the younger athletes, I think at that stage you're probably going to those that are more, more serious because they're they're training regularly, they're probably competing, and they're already probably looking to adapt um, to a professional outlook on their sport for the purposes of training and competition. And I think sometimes people overlook how the use of certain products, when used well, can also contribute to an athlete and, and, and a child sort of building schedules, building protocols, being more professional about the way they're preparing for to be as good as they possibly can. So I think it can be for the younger athlete, but those that are you know becoming or looking to be competitive. I think from an ageing population, definitely. Um, we are naturally ageing. I think people don't quite realising realize that we're aging unfortunately from the age of 35 so i just strike that box right there um and uh you know our muscle mass is decreasing over time and for those that are looking to exercise for the purposes of staying healthy i think is a great example of how compression can sort of can help them do that almost um reduce the soreness to exercise a little bit more um to help push themselves a little bit further uh and i think it can have a real role and what about from a practical point of view like is it like wearing a wetsuit or is it really comfortable is there no, is think, there an adjustment period to go through I, I think as ever the first ever garment you wore would have been remarkably um sort of t- it, they're all tight of course it's compression and people need to realize that they should expect it to be tight and that, i think that's quite important um but of course the garments with the technical developments that we've seen are becoming more and more comfortable you know you don't get the seamings changing for example so you don't get the the, the lines left on your skin when you take them off and um, waistbands and all sorts. There's a huge amount of technical development in that. And I think people would be surprised at how comfortable 
they are. Um, I don't think you can hide, of course, this compression is compression. People need to be aware that it's supposed to be tight for the purposes of uh, its multiple benefits. Yeah, but tight, but not tourniquet, not Absolutely. Yeah, no, no. I think and fit is crucial. Ultimately, compression doesn't work if it doesn't fit properly. And I suppose it's an important point to really raise there that you're looking for a brand that has and can demonstrate the quality of the size and fit behind it. Um, you don't want it too tight because obviously it'll be restrictive. Mm. In a practical scenario, that can be just very, very you know, uncomfortable. But similarly, um, you don't want it to be too loose because then there is no benefit and you may as well just buy something else. Mm. And I think that's what separates the, let's just say, the, uh, I guess, the better brand from, those, from the others. The also rent, yeah. Yeah, from the choices that people make. Who has got um, a scientific background towards them? Who can demonstrate the, the scientific background behind their products? I think that's really important. It's easy to use the claims of compression science that's readily available, but yeah. I'm a bit of a believer that nothing's really proven unless you've proven it on your own products. Yeah. So what about some other practical hints and tips that you can give our listeners? How should they be fitted up? Where should they be looking to get skins? Um, well, you can get skins in, um, in multiple sort of outlets, but you know, I think sometimes it's always nice to get them in, in the technical outlets that you might do with you know, a lot of the other equipment because I think that's exactly what it is, um, which we've mentioned, sort of the equipment, not clothing type piece. Um, the, the sizing guidelines certainly for skins are extremely um, – uh, detailed and there's a huge amount of work in terms of scientific work that's gone into that as well. So you can find yourself on the on the the sizing guidelines. Um, in terms of hints and tips, you know you can wear them really before, during, and after. Notwithstanding how you, if you've got any sporting codes as an elite or athlete that you need to adhere to, but for most people, there's a real benefit a little bit before in terms of aiding the warm up process. Definitely during if you're involved in maybe just classical endurance sports or maybe team sports. And then there's this huge wealth of area in terms of recovery. All you might need to do there is just understand which garment for the purposes of durability during sport mm. and then more comfort after sport um, will give you some, you know, just the ability there to just make sure you've got the right, the right garments. So forgive me, is, so is there different types of garments that one should wear for different types of applications? Well, I think what you're looking at is, I, I think the key thing there to say is that the science of compression is to apply largely this, the, the same compression in a graduated fashion so it's stronger the extremities and, and reduces towards the heart and, and the same profiles we're expecting across all real all garments mm. but certainly from a recovery point of view when people are putting their, their feet up or they're travelling or they're going long haul on a flight for example you're definitely going to want a garment that's, it's got certain um, sort of uh, size and fit and comfort characteristics. If you're going to wear a garment during sport, then it needs to be able to survive the rigours of the environment a little bit more. And so that will uh, be there. And also from during sport, you've got more of a dynamic component. Right. So we want to make sure that the compression profile, the integrity of that profile is withheld under a dynamic environment. You know, the changing of directions, accelerating, deset decelerating and what you'll find is um, you'll have more panels built into the sort of the active range as it were and that's just important to make sure that we're we've we manage the integrity of the compression profile under quite dynamic conditions so one last wrap-up question um, a few years ago I, I remember seeing a uh, an elite uh, soccer team 
that's what we call football in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Pick that up. <laughs> so an elite soccer team, and they were they were youths, like high school era, high school age, and they were jumping between the ice. Ice. They had the, a wheelie bin full of iced water, and jumping between that for five minutes and going into the sauna for five minutes and back and forth. Now you mentioned that this can be used with wet sports like kayaking and things like that. So this can obviously stand up to the rigours of that hot, cold thing and, and what's Oh, I mean, it's a good question. Uh, I mean, the, the, the quality of the garments would, you know, withstand um, a number of environments. I think in, in that instance you you do that, but I think honestly people could jump out, jump into the the, the ice bath and then, then they could apply their compression afterwards so they get the benefits of... of um, a numerous, a numerous sort of recovery modalities, but they can prolong that sort of recovery process over a period of time, um, and then you really can, you know, maximise an ice bath or the yep. contrast bathing, as it were, and then pl- applying your compression for the benefits of recovery. And before you know it, they'll be back uh, training and, and playing again at the, the level they were beforehand. Nick Morgan, thanks for taking us through that. That's actually really interesting. I, I had no idea about the the wider applications of this, and, and indeed. You know, a few years ago, I just used to think it was sexy clothing and then sexy clothing with shorts worn over the top. But I, re- I realise now that there's a real science behind this um, to maximise, you know, one's yeah, uh, sport performance. there is. It's got a nice background, nice heritage. Um, the science is evolving it's, um, and it will continue to evolve. And I think what you'll find is as the years go past, you'll see more and more research in this space. And I think you'll start to see more and more potential benefits as we become smarter with it. Nick, thanks so much for joining us today on FX Medicine. That was really interesting. Thank you very much. This is FX Medicine, and I'm Andrew Whitfield-Cork. Mm-hmm.